1: Hello, everyone. Happy Friday again. I feel like it was this past week flew by. I'm Kim Hakem, your host. Welcome to another episode of Anne Security for All. Thank you to all our listeners out there our listeners on the radio show of Voice America. If you are tuning in on LinkedIn Live, um, you could always catch any of our past shows on any place you listen to your podcast. You just do a search for and security for all, and you can find this show on Voice America. I hope everyone had a great week. As many of you know, I'm also the CEO of FutureCon Events, and we host cybersecurity conferences all over North America. And we just, I just got back late, late last night from Detroit and I hope everyone's doing okay in Detroit because I know they were having a huge snowstorm that was coming in and luckily I got out of there, but it was um, nice seeing so many of our old friends um, at FutureCon and tons of new friends. We literally yesterday had standing room only at that show. Um, our keynote speaker is Dan Lorman. Uh, he it was Dan Lorman, and if um, you don't know if you don't know him, he's someone you definitely want to check out. He's an award-winning CISO, best-selling author, blogger, keynote speaker, and he's an, a CISO advisor over at Presidio. Yesterday, he spoke on cyber predictions for t- two thousand twenty-three and beyond. Um, it was a, gro- a really great talk, and then he continued on, and he moderated our panel, and we had an amazing panel yesterday. We had Richard Steenen, which was really awesome to have him out in person. He is very sought after f- f- at huge conferences, so it was really nice for him to um, sit on our panel. He is a researcher and an analyst. Um, he produces the author of the Security Yearbook. And we had Arun DeSoso, who's the Chief Information Security Officer over at Next Year Automotive, and the CISO, Maureen Nemec, um, from Contour Brand. So it was really great. Um, The crowd was amazing. And if any of you out there would ever like to hear any of our keynote speakers from our events, you can just go check out uh, those shows at our FutureCon YouTube channel. So. We are heading off to Seattle in two weeks. We haven't been to Seattle. I actually haven't been to Seattle since um, the creation of FutureCon. I had another uh, company prior to FutureCon, and I haven't been back to Seattle in probably five years, so we're heading out there in two weeks. So if anyone is tuning in from Seattle, check us out at FutureCon events. It's going to be another great event up in Seattle. Very excited to see um, a lot of old friends up there. Today, my guest, he um, participated in a few of our live shows straight off of COVID. We had um, one of our first shows in Dallas, and he um, was there in 2000, that would have been 2022. Yeah, 2022 and 2021. And, um, No, 2023 and 2022, right after COVID. But I have Philip Wiley. He's a hacker, an educator, a pen tester, an instructor, a keynote, and international speaker. Uh, He's another best-selling author. Um, He has the Hacker Factory podcast, and he is the DC 940 founder. Um, he just started a new role at, um, as a security solution specialist at CYE, So, and he is the author of Pen Tester's Blueprint. So excited to have him here today and excited to get to know more about you, Philip. Well, welcome to the show, Philip.
2: Thanks for, for having me. It's an honor to be joining you today, and it was great seeing you back in January at the Dallas event. Sounds yeah like that threw me for a
1: loop i'm like wait we was it 21 20 because you were there two years in a row and i'm thinking yes geez we're already in 2023 so anyway that was a great event he um he uh philip was there doing a book signing with um i just went blank with um you know the cso from smu why did i just yes. go blank yeah, anyway <laughs> Well, uh, my team will throw that in the chat for me. So we had a packed house. um, uh, Oh, George Finney, yes, George Finney. He's keynoted our events, and he he he, both of you guys had a book signing, so that was a great event. So anyway, um, you know, I, I feel like I've met you those few times in Dallas, but I really haven't gotten to know your history and everything about you. Why don't we like just kind of start off, and I'd love to hear how you got to be a pen tester, a hacker, an author, everything. Um, where, what? Just tell us how it all started.
2: Sure. Yeah, I started my cybersecurity career as a, you know, back, going way back. Uh, I started out as a system administrator. I was working as a CAD drafter, found out about uh, system administration roles, and it sounded interesting to me. I took a Novell Netware CNE. A certification course, taught myself how to build computers, and got my first job. So that was back in 1997. And uh, I worked in IT as a system administrator for a little over six years and found out about cybersecurity. And the company I worked for, the mortgage company, I got moved over to the cybersecurity group, worked in network security and data security for uh, about a year and a half. And then the company hired a new CISO. They came in and divide us up into different groups. Prior to that, everyone was doing the same thing, network uh, intrusion detection systems, uh, firewalls, vulnerability scans, and risk assessments. So he kind of separated us out into different silos and I got put on the application security team. And that's where I found out about penetration testing. So I worked in application security for about seven years in 2012. I got laid off from my job and applied for a job as a consultant. Uh, working performing pen tests so I worked the first five years of my offensive se- security career was spent as a consultant and then I started working for companies internally and so I've worked as a red team operator uh, and a pen tester for several different companies and performed application pen tests, network pen tests, as well as a uh, wireless pen test
1: do you feel like you know I I feel like five years ago, you didn't really even hear the word pen tester as much as you hear it now. So, how did that? You know, how do you think that's evolving? You know, I love talking to pen testers. I love hearing their stories. Um, we have a couple of people. Jonathan Kimmet, welcome to the show. Um, he he had a he co-hosts my show sometimes for me. Our guest host, and he had a pen tester on, and it was a really great story here in you know, between him and the pen tester. And uh, Robert Skinner, uh, thanks for being here today. But tell us about some of your, like how did you get into pen testing and and what were some of the few, you know, things that you started off doing and where are you seeing with the evolution of pen testing?
2: Sure, you know, I got laid off from, from my job as a application security analyst for a mortgage company. And so I decided, I, during that time in application security, I found out about penetration testing uh, and interesting now that you hear so much about it, but, you know, back in 2012 or so, you really didn't hear much about, about that field at all. And so I applied for a job and got uh, into consulting. And actually, Robert Skinner that's on here, we used to work together at a company. He was one of our engagement managers. But uh, so I got into the consulting. So it's really interesting. The interesting thing was is just looking at the security, cybersecurity community back in 2012, 2013, You would go to different meetups and you would hardly run into any other pen testers. There'd only be like one or two of us in the room. And now you go to any security events, there's a lot more. And really what's driven that is compliance pen testing, mainly like PCI, PCI DSS, uh, payment card industry data security standard really drove a lot of the needs for pen testing as a requirement. Uh, And so companies had to have pen tests performed. And then some companies started looking past the just, doing things for PCI and it's expanded. Uh, back when I was getting started out, most companies didn't have their own pen test team. They relied on consultants, but now if you look at a lot of companies, they have their own large pen testing teams in house. So it's really grown a lot. The awareness has grown, but one of the things that still is still one of the most misunderstood areas of cybersecurity. And I think you know, going beyond uh, practitioners, we really need to educate anyone involved with cybersecurity to understand about penetration testing in the different areas of offensive security so they can implement those types of activities uh, better in their, in, in their, their uh, organizations because sometimes things get missed due to, to not understanding or understanding the different types of security assessments.
1: Do you have any favorite stories of some sort of pen test that you did that you'd wanna share?
2: Yes, it's kind of interesting. One of, the, one of my favorite all time hacks, and I like to bring this up because it's a couple lessons to, to be learned there. Uh, I was performing a web app pen test for an organization, and through a SQL database vulnerability, a Microsoft SQL database had a SQL injection vulnerability. I was able to get command line access from the internet. And once I got on that system, I was at the command line and I was able to, to dump the password hash and decrypt the password hash using john the ripper one of the older password hacking tools and whenever it decrypted the hash unencrypted the hash it was like uh the password all lowercase number one and this was reachable from the internet the company i performed the pen test for filed a risk acceptance because it was a development system but where this is kind of a mistake even though it's a development system there's the possibility to get to other production systems was highly possible. And so one of the things I really like to preach is, you know, when you're using risk acceptance, use those wisely and use them when they're needed. If you make sure you go back and remediate issues because those vulnerabilities, you know, they can turn into something serious. And another example of remediating your vulnerabilities where it's needed. I was performing a pen test as a consultant once. It was in January. I found a vulnerability that was a low level vulnerability, the uh, company that that we were doing the pentest for remediated the highs and mediums and criticals. I came back 90 days and did a retest and someone figured out how to hack that low risk vulnerability and now it was no longer low risk. So if the company uh, hadn't had a retest and this would have waited another year before a pentest, you know, a threat actor could have exploited that vulnerability and gained a a foothold into their company. So that kind of shows you that you really need to take all vulnerabilities seriously, make sure you remediate those and constantly keep up to date with those because once someone figures out how to exploit those vulnerabilities, then it becomes a higher risk.
1: Do you feel like, are you seeing like our younger generation, like the next wave of our cybersecurity professionals, are you seeing more um, like educated pen testers? And do you feel like, Maybe all this gaming that's gone on, you know, and I'm speaking of thinking about like my own kids and stuff, and you know how how people now in their 20s and 30s are still gaming. Do you think that helps with the hacking? Yeah, I think
2: that helps. I think we're 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 looking at a, a, you know a generation that not even aside from the hacking that they grew up on on devices, you know, computers, uh, you know iPads and mobile phones and stuff. They've grown up around this stuff where whenever I got into the industry, I got in in 97. And so I was like, uh, well into my thirties, whereas you've got people in their teens and early twenties doing that. And you have some different competitions out there that are helping use gamification to bring people into uh, cyber security, like wicked six. And then the U S cyber games that they host these competitions to get interest and there's a lot of, uh, well, several different companies out there that are creating gamified education platforms to help teach them. But the good thing we got now in our favor is we're getting younger talent that has those skills that they've gained from that. Some of them have even played around with hacking themselves. Uh, some of the people I've had on my podcast got into hacking through hacking video games to use different cheat codes to to level up or get uh, extra lives or uh, advance their level in a game. And so this mindset, I think it's really setting it up for uh, people bringing in new fresh talent because, you know, it's such a skills gap and we need that. And And now you see more younger people getting into it. And pen testing was probably one of the bigger draws of most of the different areas of cybersecurity. And one of the things I advise anyone interested in cybersecurity is look at all the different roles. Pen testing, getting to hack for a living is a lot of fun, but there's also some other good roles. But the good thing as you mentioned, the younger generations getting into the gaming and all this stuff, getting interested in computers is giving us talent, you know, more talent at an earlier age than what we'd seen previously.
1: Well, I know you discussed, we were talking pre-show that your podcast, you talk a lot about that, you know, people getting into cybersecurity. So for some of those younger, you know, um, that younger generation that maybe they don't know what they want to do yet, but they are like big gamers. I happen to have a daughter that's 18 that's trying (laughs) to figure out what she's going to do. She's the third one. The other two are all, all off, off my payroll, you know, but I'm like, gosh, she, you know, she hacks everything that I've ever shut down around this house. And, you know, I'm like, she, you know, I just don't know, she doesn't know yet that I think that's a good way for her to go. So how do you advise young people like that? Um, What kind of advice do you give them to even, you know, look into something like that?
2: One good thing to do is go to different security conferences and see the different type of roles there. So you'll have people from different areas of the industry giving presentations. Uh, Some of these conferences have workshops so you can learn different hands-on labs and things that you can work with. And then in CTFs, a lot of the different conferences have capture the flag competitions where it's some kind of challenge where you're trying to hack into something. Sometimes it could be a, a cryptography challenge. So get started out with like ctfs uh resources like hack the box uh and try hack me they have educational platforms so you can get in there in in an environment that may you know emulate you know production servers and you get to practice hacking and learning uh you know hack the box has their academy which is more educational which which costs money but you take try hack me they have a free level where you can get in there and learn different areas of cybersecurity with a strong emphasis on, on hacking and pen testing. So I'd recommend, you know, starting out with TryHackMe, uh, going to conferences and, and, and try CTFs. And some of the different organizations or some of the different colleges have cybersecurity groups. So check some of those out. And they bring in speakers routinely from the industry to uh, share about the different areas.
1: Yesterday, as I said, we were in Detroit and we, um, we always hire, not hire, we always have student volunteers that work, you know, our registration desk because we don't, our events aren't really for students, but we like to encourage students to come and, um, you know, work with us so, you know, they can kind of put their foot in the door. And this girl had just graduated. She did a boot camp. So um, she just did a six month boot camp, and she's a li- she seemed a little lost. Like now, what am I going to do? You know. So, what are your thoughts about uh, those type boot camps? Sure, the,
2: the boot camps are a good thing because I've seen those. You know, it kind of reminds you of what we've seen that was so popular, still popular because we needed developers. So you have these immersion type programs where you're putting in. You know, where you went to, to traditional college you're not all your time is spent on a certain subject, you know, these are these different boot camps and immersion type learning opportunities. You're spending all that time, eight hours a day or however long uh, class periods are to learn. Those are those are some good opportunities to learn. But one of the things I would say that this person did, the student or graduate did great was volunteering. Volunteering at these different events is a great way to to uh, network with people. Networking is probably one of the biggest and best ways to get your foot in the door. It was interesting because I used to teach at Dallas College, taught there for almost four years. Uh, One of my former colleagues that works there asked me to come in and talk to the ethical hacking class or pen testing class, uh, the class I used to teach there. One of the things I shared with them is networking is one of the best things you can do to help your career. And funny coincidence, when I left the class, I had a message from... Uh, one of my connections, Ira Winkler saying, I'm not sure if you're, you know, still happy where you're at, but if not, uh, sigh, you know, I'd love to get you over here sigh and work with me. And that's the way I got the, my job. My previous job was someone on my network I was connected to. I've seen recent college grads give presentations at different, different local cybersecurity meetings. Uh, I saw a student one time give a, a presentation on malware analysis there was a hiring manager from Citi and in the audience, asked for his resume and ended up getting a job. So uh, networking is one of the biggest things going to different conferences like this, the different cybersecurity groups. Uh, if you're an under underrepresented person, there's lots of women's groups, uh, LBGT plus groups. Uh, and then like Rises is a group for uh, Hispanics and, and Latinx uh, people. And so it's a good way to find and connect with others. Because one of the things you'll find out when you're networking is you'll find someone else that's just starting the journey or maybe they haven't been in as long as you, but they can share some really good recommendations and tips on things they've learned and helped them in their career.
1: Well, and I think this girl yesterday, I think she's going to be just fine because she, you know, she showed up. Dressed so professional, even more red for FutureCon. I was very impressed. And, you know, I was like, you you know, when, when you're not working the registration desk, you need to go talk to all of our vendors and you need to walk right over to that ISSA table and talk to them and join, you know, that local community. And it is, it's all about network. She was networking, she was busy all day. So I do believe FutureCon, we provide a great opportunity for students to come. Always, I'm always hiring student um, interns. But um, we have quite a few people that have comments here so let me address them um, Don Donzel said um, I do but I'd have to kill you so I assume he's a pen tester when I asked if uh, <laughs> you could share stories and then Moshe Mosin uh, Mo just says howdy and um, then what else Jonathan Kimmet said are you seeing that pen test processes are changing due to the increased security being built into network and endpoint tools
2: Yes, it's it's getting a lot more difficult. Uh, pen testers are having to focus a lot more on evasion, different evasion techniques. So you really have to stay on top of that. So that's really changed a lot. I used to internal pen tests, you went in and performed a pen test. You were pretty much, you know, your likelihood of hacking into something and gaining access was very high, but it's getting more difficult nowadays. So people really need to learn, work on their evasion techniques and before you really didn't have to get into exploit development or that type of thing. But some of these uh, courses that are offered at some of the conferences and even outside of that by some uh, security firms, they offer courses on, you know, malware development, uh, exploit development, as well as evasion type uh, courses. So you have to really look into that. And as far as one of the things that kind of help your security posture, kind of this made me think of is doing purple team operations in your organization. Testing these different tools to see if they can be executed successfully on workstations they really shouldn't be, and so you work. That's where the pen test team works together with the the defenders and seeing these things are detected and tuning their endpoint detection systems to make sure they are detecting and preventing those types of uh, attacks.
1: Um. Another thing about Jonathan Kimmett, he used to be the CISO at the University of Tulsa, and he used the students from, you know, the cybersecurity students as his SOC team. So he was doing really great things for the next generation. He just took a new job, but he's just been a great mentor in the industry. So kudos to Jonathan. Um, One of the pen testers, one of the shows he did for me, he brought a pen tester on and Um, that pen tester actually went, broke, kind of broke into a bank, you know, and just told the bank that, you know, I'm here, you know, like from charter communications or something. And they just believed him and let him go back on their computers. And he just, you know, and it's just so amazing that that still happens. I mean, I yesterday was trying to get up. I lost my hotel room key and I had my name badge on and the lady would not let me. She would not give me a key. You know, unless I had my ID and I was really mad, even though I was at a cybersecurity conference, I was so mad at her. But really, she was doing her job right. You know, so, yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because social engineering is one of the biggest ways that threat actors get in because you can have the most secure systems. But if you let someone in a server room and maybe one of the keyboard, maybe one of the servers is logged into, they gain access. They don't have to be that good of a hacker. To to gain access,
1: right, and then um, Jonathan said also join local cybersecurity professional groups. So is exactly what I was saying, like ISSA, and there's so many of them. You know, you've got IWASP, OWASP, I mean, and infraguard and ICSA. It just depends. You know, we we work with all the nonprofits, so they're such a great resource for um, anybody entering into the industry. Um, Don Don said, uh, now I don't know what. Pico CTF at Carnegie Mellon starts next week. Very good learning experience for all levels. So that's good information as well. One of the things that we were talking about um, is uh, let's kind of transition a little bit. And I do want to make sure we talk about your book. But um, we were talking about the AI and the chat GTP. And since we were kind of talking about universities and young kids, what are your thoughts on all of this and um, I find it very fascinating from the universities. You, you said that you've used it a little bit for some of your podcasts, but where do you think all of that is going and how did that even, can you explain to, I know all of our LinkedIn live people are cybersecurity practitioners, so they know what that is. But for our radio listeners, can you explain what that is?
2: Sure. Chat GPT is basically referred as an AI chat bot because OpenAI already had had their artificial intelligence in place, but for the everyday user to use it and not have to go out and learn AI or be highly technical, you're able to use this chat. And you're able to, in that chat bot, you're able to ask, you know, you can ask if you need to write a bio for yourself. Uh, I, I've used it before to write a quick bio, an updated bio. Uh, I use it for my podcast because I'll take my, my uh, transcript, and feed it into uh, into Chat GPT and ask it for like a summary to create a summary. So it'll create my summaries, and uh, it's really a great writing tool. But what really got me interesting interested in it was last fall, someone had uh, posted on Twitter how they created a reconnaissance script. You, there was a Bash script, uh, and so they t- went in and told Chat GPT, "I want a reconnaissance script with these four tools." so it created this bash script went in and install set the script to install all these tools in case they weren't installed and then run them to do reconnaissance so seeing what people were doing with development and you know there's programmers using using this to create code but one of the things too is you still have to do some massaging so some cases it's kind of hard for someone without any coding experience to go in there and write some sort of you know, program, you have to have a little bit of knowledge in that area, because sometimes it makes mistakes. Same thing with writing. Uh, But as far as a writing tool, it's really, really good writing tool, because if you want an outline on a certain subject, it'll create an outline. Uh, It's interesting, too, because even Microsoft has got in on the game. Uh, They partnered with uh, OpenAI, they have a version or an API or connection to uh, this AI in their Bing search engine. So they're Taking search engines and they're able, they're able to do a lot more. So what we used to do with Google, you're able to enhance that so much more. Uh, the research capabilities are great. The automation capabilities, and one of the things I see is everyone always asks, is AI going to replace pen testing? I really don't think it's replacing anything yet. But one of the best quotes I've heard is, "You won't be a per- you won't be replaced by AI. You'll be replaced by a person that knows how to use AI." So I highly recommend playing around, learning how to use this stuff. It's really great to use to write. There's different writing tools out there that use AI that help you with your writing, help you reword stuff. And the, the re, you know people worried about the universities, I can see the concern because you're able to go out, take something, a document that you that someone else created and you can put it into a tool and ask it to rewrite that. So it kind of makes it a little more difficult to detect plagiarism, but as far as a tool, Uh, it's got a lot of great uses. I mean, this is one of the things that, you know, has helped evolve our industry. And, and as far as a pen tester goes, you know, back years ago, pen testers didn't have vulnerability scanners to perform pen tests. And so it's become common practice. There's so much work that pen testers need some sort of automation to make their jobs easier. And what I kind of see is the tools getting more smart AI enabled and able to take care of some of the low-level, tedious stuff that's kind of boring that pen testers don't like to do, and they can focus more on the hacking.
1: So do you think, well, first off, is like chat GTP, how do you even access something like that? Is that, just Google it? Yeah,
2: you just go to uh, chat.openai.com, and then you just subscribe there and then you get access to it. And they've got paid subscriptions now because one of the things, it stays extremely busy. So if you go off the three, the free uh, access method, sometimes you go in there, if it's really busy, uh, it'll tell you that we're currently under heavy loads that you'll have to come back later. And so if you pay for the subscription, which I think is like $20 a month, then you you don't have to wait, you get access immediately. But uh, but so yeah, you just go to chat.openai, uh dot com and, and sign up for a subscription there
1: well i think that's like a really great tool a lot of our speakers may not have updated bios so i definitely think that's something that i'm going to start recommending them to do because sometimes you know they're so busy it's hard for them took to write your own bio like i know my bio needs to be updated it's a lot of work it takes a, it's really hard to write your own bio so yes. um I think that's a great tool, but I am concerned about what's going to happen with the universities. And um, uh, well, first of all, sh- is it sh- Sharia? Sharia? Sorry, Sharia. She's just saying, hello, security family, and I'm sorry if I messed up your name. I, um, but Jonathan said, because AI can uh, rewrite and develop, do you think that academic requirements will change and be less about turning in a unique piece of written slash coded work?
2: You know, there, there is a need for original work, but at the same time too, I can see wanting to encourage students to use these technologies. I mean, maybe there's some cases that they do some things that, that you require them to create original work, but honestly, someone that knows how to use these technologies are be miles ahead of someone else. Because uh, one of the things I did recently, I have a friend of mine that was looking for a job and I asked her, do you want me to share on, on LinkedIn? Because I've, a pretty good amount of followers on LinkedIn. And so I said, do you want me to post something? You're looking for a job. And so she gave me some information on her background, the kind of job she was looking for. I was able to throw it into chat GPT and in less than 30 seconds, I had a really nicely written post that I was able to, to put up there. Something that would draw better attention than just what I had in mind to put up there. So, uh, you know, you kind of want to, to discourage cheating, but we also want to maybe accept some of this and see what's, you know what students can do, you know, based on these technologies and stuff we have. I mean, stop and look back to where we had just typewriters or just handwritten documents. Uh, you know, evolved into word processors, spell check, grammar check. You look at those. You know, we don't view spell check and grammar check as cheating anymore. So we really need to to look at those areas and kind of define what we're going to consider cheating and acceptable, and really encourage the use of those kind of tools because you're going to be able to work much quicker if you have uh, access to those AI tools.
1: What other, do you see any like cutting edge um, besides that AI tools that you are, are, you know, that you think is going to replace a human job?
2: The closest to it, and it's pretty interesting, uh, Daniel Meisler did a podcast a while back and he talked about general AI and general artificial intelligence is kind of different than your basic ai that we see now the ai we have now you have to use machine learning feed it data to learn and to be able to respond to those chats like in chat gpt once we get to general ai it's able to figure out how to do stuff on its own you don't have to feed it it's more like the human brain able to figure things out on its own so that's really where we really don't have much to worry about until and and, and i'm sure jobs will come about that will need you'll need people to work in that area but that's really where it gets to the point where it can do stuff on its own without human interaction
1: so kind of um going back to your book the pen tester's blueprint what um can you kind of give us a synopsis of that and you know what made you decide to write that book and how's your well it looks like it's doing really great but what was what Prompted you to even have time. You're you're so busy. How do you find time? I that that's the one thing that fascinates me about all these you know great uh, cyber practice pr- practitioners like yourself. How do you find time to do that?
2: I think the first thing is, is not have a life. Yeah, <laughs> and, right. <laughs> and and li- live and breathe breathe cybersecurity. So actually, this was like a lecture that I gave in my uh, ethical hacking class that I taught at Dallas College while I was teaching pen testing, web app pen testing. I created this uh, lecture for the first day of class to explain to students what pen testing was, the different types of tools used in pen testing, the different roles. And uh, so by that was like January 2018. So by November, our local Security B-Sides conference, I submitted it as a a conference talk. Because actually, to back up a little bit, while I was at the college teaching that first year, Some of the other instructors and professors asked me if I would come talk to their students about pen testing roles. So I gave that talk to them. And so I kind of thought, you know, maybe this is a good idea to give it a conference because a lot of people are trying to get into the industry. So it became a conference talk and I gave it at many conferences. And I was in the Tribe of Hackers uh, Red Team book and Wiley Publishing asked me, would you be interested in writing a book? And so I kind of thought, yeah, I'd really like to take this talk and turn it into a book. So I took the, that, that concept, that lecture and expanded upon it into the book.
1: So, um, so who, who is your target audience for that book?
2: The target audience is I would, anyone is wanting to get into pen testing. I mean, you can have zero technical background because when I was teaching at the college, one of the things I, I experienced was sometimes they didn't do a good job of vetting student prerequisites. So I had students that started the college. That my ethical hacking class was the very first class they took and really ideally they should have had some other technical courses before taking that so i wrote it to uh people that are non-technical so they see the prerequisites that they need understanding networking and operating systems before they can start into learning how to pen test, how to build that base knowledge in technology learning security and then moving on to the hacking piece which is you know the big part of pen testing. So that was kind of where it was was geared toward. But this knowledge is kind of helpful. This book would be useful for anyone that's just wanting to learn more about uh, pen testing.
1: You know, one of the things I always do when I have a guest on is I, I quickly look at their LinkedIn and see what their last post was. And I noticed that you had a post of, you know, some of the top influencers of hackers pen testers to follow. Who are some of your, you know, role models for yourself? Because you are a role model in the industry. So who are your role models in the industry? And, you know, why, why are they?
2: Sure. Actually, I mentioned uh, Daniel Meisler earlier, but uh, Daniel Meisler, he was one of the, one of the creators, him, Jason Haddix, and a a hacker that goes on the handle, Got Milk, created this, this list called SecList. And it's a dictionary of passwords and different helpful tools for penetration testing that they created. Uh, as I mentioned there, Jason Haddix, uh, he, used to, he was a penetration tester. Now he's a CISO for a company and manages pen testing teams and he used to be a bug crowd. So I really picked up a lot of good tips from him because people that do bug bounties have some really good tips. So it's a uh, Jason Haddix, uh, Mubix aka Rob Fuller. Uh, let's see who else? And also, Wirefall from Dallas Hackers Association. We used to work together, so he was kind of a mentor. Uh, so those are some of the ones. Also, uh, Naham Sek uh, is a very known, well-known uh, bug hunter. Used to work for Hacker One, and also like uh, uh, John Hammond. He's a really great educator. He has some really good content on YouTube. So those are some people that that I highly respect and recommend people following them and and uh, checking out their content.
1: And now, how long have you had your podcasts? And tell us a little bit about your podcast.
2: Sure. My podcast is coming up on two years. So today I published my 104th episode. Uh, so my podcast started out, a lot of the things I do is, since my passion and interest is in the offensive side of security, it started out to be more geared towards, because the hacker factory was you know geared more towards uh, you know, pen testers. But I saw the need that to, to share other roles as well. Because, you know, there's such a shortage in the industry, people starting out are looking for good resources. So the the focus of my show is to have guests on sharing their stories of how they got started, what got them interested in cybersecurity and their advice for others getting started in the industry.
1: You know, it's so interesting that you say there, because there is a shortage in the industry, but yet there's so many people that I know that are trying to find a job. So when is that going to, when do you think that's going to even out? I mean, it's, 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 we have a shortage in the industry, but then we have new people in the industry that don't have the experience. So, you know, what's your advice to those people? Because I usually say when somebody maybe is laid off or loses their job, I'm like, you know, I'll keep my eye out because I'm always, I'm on LinkedIn. I have a pretty large following on LinkedIn and, You know, I I read a lot of the feeds because I try to find guests from, you know, influencers out there, but I'm always seeing we're hiring, we're hiring, we're hiring. So how do those things correlate that, you know, it's that we're not going to have that shortage? When are those things going to match up?
2: Sure. And I think really we could kind of overcome that shortage, but for anyone that's looking network, I can't emphasize enough, if you're connected to someone at that company, they have job openings. Reach out to them and see if they'd recommend you. Because one of the things most companies do is they give their employees referral bonuses. And I can't think of most people that aren't going to refer you. If you're you're connected on LinkedIn. Uh, you know, kind of start a conversation with them. Uh, you know, stay connected to these people. But yeah, if you have a if you're interested in uh, a job with their companies, reach out to them. Because one of the things a lot of us in the industry re- refer to is trying to get past the HR firewall. A good, a prime example there is. I used to work for U.S. Bank. I was at a local OWASP uh, chapter meeting in Dallas. The presenter worked at U.S. Bank. He said, "We're we're hiring. If anyone's interested, send me. You know, let me know, and I'll get your resume and forward it on." So I connected with them, gave them my resume, and pretty shortly after, with probably less than a week, I had a, an interview with the hiring manager and ended up getting the job. Same time frame, I applied for a job at Bank of America. Exact same requirements. I had all the certifications, had all the experience, but one of the things I did different with Bank with U.S. Bank, I knew someone inside. They were able to take my my resume to the hiring manager. Bank of America uploaded my resume through their HR system. Uh, they didn't call me until like a year later. So no matter how experienced you are, it's hard to get around that. So networking with people, but as far as trying to fix the skills gap, I think we need to be uh, a little more friendly on entry level folks. You know, get, take a chance on bringing people in, entry level people. The way some of these job descriptions are written, uh, it's entry level, but they're looking for a mid to senior level person. So we need to be more accurate with those. Take more of a chance on on hiring people with uh, you know very little experience. I think we were, one of the things that also would help is doing apprenticeships, because one of the things I've seen with my students and people I've mentored that had an easier job finding. Uh, work or getting their first role was because they did internships. But if you're not in college, it's hard to get an internship. But if we could get apprenticeships, someone could go apply with that company, same kind of setup as an internship. This person come in, work for three to six months. And if they're not a fit, you don't hire them. But if they are, you know, try to hire that person. And then what you've done at the same time, too, is you've given this person three to six months worth of work experience. Now, once they apply for other jobs, they're gonna have an easier time because they can actually display that they actually have professional experience.
1: Yeah, and I think it's all of our jobs to, you know, um, being in this security industry, and especially if you do have a large following on LinkedIn is to help each other. You know, I had a lot of respect for the CISO over at GoDaddy, about a year ago, I think they had some layoffs and he just put names out there of his team. You could tell he was very sad that he had to let some of his team go. But he put, you know, they you know, he kinda gave his, you know, gave his referral to these people. And then I reshared that post because, you know, that the I, I, I bet those people got new jobs pretty quickly, you know, because of the experience they had. So kudos to the CISO over at uh, GoDaddy for doing that. So I think that's just really great when we all, again, that goes back to networking, you know, but, um. Mo Seen -seen said, what I'm looking for is getting my foot in the door of cybersec while I'm almost done with my cyber bachelor and working full time in a non-cyber related job and willing to work on weekends or at least remote to keep my current job while paying bills and bridge over to the security based um, careers. That's the hardest thing, you know, if you have to earn money, but you know, how do you manage that? You still have to pay your bills so you can't work for free.
2: Yeah, one of the things, I'm going back to internships, if there's any way to get an internship, try to get an internship. Another thing to look at is SOC analyst roles. SOC analyst roles kind of keep some strange hours because you know they have to have coverage 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So if you can apply for one of those SOC roles, maybe that you can work on weekends or evenings on different off shifts, shifts to work during that time to gain that experience. But this also still goes back to networking network with people let them know that you're wanting to find jobs in industry one of the things i do and i've seen a lot of others do write posts for other people saying they're looking this person is looking for a job and people like kim or myself with a big following on on linkedin sometimes it can give visibility to those to those uh those posts so yeah networking and then try to find something like a sock analyst role that's something you can do part-time
1: you know, in hiring, it's not easy hiring. I, I'm, I'm fortunate right now. I have a really great team. But there was a period of last year I was trying to hire for a couple of different roles. And it's, it's so hard because, you know, even if you post something on LinkedIn, you're getting tons and tons and tons of non-qualified candidates that are, you know, like applying and it the job that has nothing to do with them or if you go through Indeed, it's just who has time, so um, luckily somehow, things work out, worked out. I found the people I was hiring. But do you think that's a problem of just, you know, the human resource people just being flooded with the wrong kind of resumes? And how are you going to get past that? I guess, it, again, it goes back to the networking. But maybe going back to chat, uh, GPT, I can't believe some of the resumes I saw that were just terrible resumes. I mean, people should probably be using that for their resumes.
2: Sure. Try to get resume help. I mean, some of these conferences will we'll have like a career village there and they'll help do they'll do like resume reviews uh, so get your resume reviewed and another thing that's uh that's that's really good that we're in a, in a time now that uh, content creation is very helpful so if you if you like to write write blog posts start a blog on medium and write about the things you're doing to learn your to learn cybersecurity so some people would do videos walk through videos on Different challenges they went through on hack the box or, you know, building a home lab, just different cybersecurity topics. Some people that if you know how to code and you're writing scripts, if you wrote a script to do a certain thing, start a GitHub account and put your, your scripts up there. So that way you have this to show to hiring managers, uh, because I've seen a lot of people in the industry. One, one guy that uh, Don Zanzel that's on here, that's a friend of mine. Uh, we know a guy in the industry that was a pool cleaner. And basically, from his connection in the community, he was connected and also being involved with the community, uh, was able to get a job pretty quickly from the networking. But I've seen people that basically had a YouTube channel or their uh, blog, you know, blogging or different things or streaming and doing those things, and they're getting attention because whenever they perform these technical activities online, someone's getting to see the way they think, uh, their skill set, and even if you're doing this and don't feel scared to make mistakes. If you make a mistake, go back, correct it during these videos, then the hiring manager gets to see how you think. So it's almost like a technical interview before you actually get to do the interview.
1: Yeah, I agree. You know, it's just about taking a chance. I had, um, I can't remember his name. This, this podcast has been going on I think almost two years and one of my early guests he was a coder and he had a youtube he has a youtube channel a huge following I can't think of his name, but um probably fifty thousand followers and all he did is it it was so um just how to code one o one and I watched it, and I'm so not technical, but it drew me in I was able you know because he he made it so basic, you know so I don't you know, it, it takes a lot of you've got to be a little brave. I mean, when I started this podcast, Voice of Erica reached out to me and I'm like, I am not uh, that that's not in my wheelhouse. But I did it, you know, and now two years later, I'm a little more comfortable, but it was scary at first. But it's just, you know, uh, these younger people, I guess taking a chance. And then if you're trying to get into like going back to um, sorry, his name is not showing up here, but uh, most i you know, how do you, if you're trying to get in touch on um, one of these security teams, like who do you want to become friends with? Because you're not going to try to become friends with the CISO because the CISO is probably not going to pay attention to you because his inbox is so in, inundated and to get his attention, you know, it's going to be hard. So who do you recommend them to try to get some insight with? I would say
2: more of the practitioners, maybe some of the hiring managers, because practitioners, one of the things that that uh, people are happy to do. Maybe they're not, they don't have the time to maybe mentor full time, but most people I've seen have at least, at least have the time to answer some of your questions periodically through a, uh, a direct message on LinkedIn. So reach out to the practitioners, you know, the people that you can learn from, that's the ones you want to to connect with. Plus they're also the ones that you're probably gonna be more than likely to get you to, to you know, refer you know use them as a referral pass your resume on And some of these people are even happy to review your resume take a look a quick look at your resume so
1: and i'm afraid no go ahead
2: yeah don't be afraid to reach out to people
1: yeah that's what i you know there is a a young uh, a young man out of los angeles and we um we're pretty strict you know about not having students um at our events unfortunately because it's just that's not the that's that's not who our shows are for. And this this young guy, he was still in college and he was really involved with OWASP. And somehow he got in and um, you know he was persistent. You know, he he joined OWASP, he joined ISSA, he joined them all. And now a few years later, I, I saw him in San Diego at our event this past year. He's got a really great job with a really great company. And he was just persistent. I mean, he gave me a run for my money like, I'm coming. I, I don't care what you say, you know. And okay. and and I think he will be our next uh, – he he will be some, somewhere down the road, um, a CISO, in his career just because of his persistency. And he's, you know, just so serious and – you know, shows up at those local meetings and has a presence and lets people see who he is, and um, so I think you just you would just have to be persistent. And um, I, I keep Moshe Mosheen said I do know personally four people in our AAS cybersecurity program in college, could not find the work in cyber and they left the field and went to a real estate and sales. Hope I'm not the fifth one. Ha ha. Well, I hope not either. You know, because we do need yeah. we need you in the industry.
2: Yeah, as you mentioned, like the the young person you just gave the example of that is the perfect example go to don't just limit yourself to one meeting when you go to these meetings, don't just stand in the corner by yourself, introduce yourself, Tell people what you want to do, because when I was teaching at the college, I used to always get people looking for entry-level pen testers because they come to me because they knew I was teaching and mentoring pen testers. And if I knew people in the community, I would include them as a recommendation as well. There was a young uh, college graduate that just graduated with a cybersecurity degree, and I recommended some students of mine as well as this person in... He ended up getting a job to, from that. So just getting involved, you know, we've mentioned this a lot of times in networking, but get out there and uh, introduce yourself, tell people what you're interested in. Once people know that you're interested, they get to know you. People by nature are going to want to help you. I mean, it's sometimes people don't don't have the time to be a full-time mentor, but most people in industry that I've ex- experienced want to try to do their part to help someone.
1: And, you know, unfortunately, COVID has, you know, you know, a lot of a lot of Cybersecurity practitioners are a little introverted you know and covid has you know enabled them to continue to be you know introverted because we do all of our events in a hybrid mode we get a great turnout live but we are still getting people that just don't it's they're more comfortable to stay at home and still get their educational credits through our events but they really should be out there at our events you know meeting other peers and networking. Networking, it just goes back to that. But it's 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 hard, I guess, to show up someplace if you don't know anyone, but you're going to have to push yourself because you don't know who you're going to be sitting with at that table and who's going to be sitting next to you in the audience. You know, it could be your next boss.
2: Yeah. Speaking of in-person conferences, Ira Winkler that recommended me to Cy, uh, he was introduced to me by Joseph that runs Texas Cyber Summit back in 2021. I was doing a book signing there and he introduced me to Ira, and we we always stayed in touch and we talked to each other at conferences and that's kind of how I got the job. So I can understand the good thing about the virtual aspect of these conferences. I know there's some people that are uncomfortable in social situations. You just have to get out there and try to get used to, to being out in public. And one of the things I'll say about cybersecurity compared to other industries, it's a very welcoming industry. There's a lot of people that are introverted uh, a lot of people, you know, when you find your tribe, it's just you're, you're comfortable. And I see a lot of people that weren't comfortable in normal social situations that are comfortable. So get out there and connect with people. I mean, yeah, you I agree. have to do what's...
1: I I mean, people are not snotty in our industry at all. And um, really quick, because we're about to wrap, but I try to throw every name out there, uh, Chad Graham. Thanks for listening. He said that Phil had me on his IR professional, and it was a great experience. Before we wrap up, because this has flown, we're down to two minutes. um, You know, thanks. uh, Tell us again where people can find your book. And um, you're about to write another book, you said, if you can just give us a little wrap up on that.
2: Sure, just kind of not really share much on the the second book, but uh, writing a proposal for that. But if you're looking for my book, you can find it on through any uh, book reseller, so Amazon. Uh, you can buy it directly from the publisher Wiley. Uh, I've seen it in Barnes and Noble, so it's uh, they had it at the RSA bookstore last year. So uh, it's pretty easy to find. So it's Amazon is a good place to get it.
1: Are you going to be out at RSA? Are you doing any speaking at any of those conferences or Black Hat or anything?
2: Not at RSA, I kind of missed, I usually speak in the dark arts village, but I missed out on the CFP. Uh, But I'm going to be there at a vendor event, uh, Singa Segura, they're a a company out of Brazil that does privilege access management. I'm on a panel there, one of the dinners they're hosting. Uh, But I plan to speak at at DEF CON and uh, B-Sides Las Vegas.
1: Okay, well that's awesome. Well, thank you so I've been trying to get Philip on the show for a long time. Again, you guys need to definitely if you don't know Philip Wiley, like I said he's a hacker, educator, pen tester, um, just a really great role model in the industry. You can go find him on LinkedIn and um, he has some really amazing posts that he puts out there. So, thank you for being on the show today, Philip, and um, everyone, thanks. We had a great uh, audience today. Thanks for all your comments and questions. Thanks for all of our regular followers. Um, we'll be back next Friday at the same time. So everyone, I hope you, wherever you are, you have a great weekend. And you guys stay safe, stay secure, and we'll see you next week.
0: Thank you for tuning into and Security for All. cybersecurity professional that needs to earn continuing educational hours? FutureCon Events brings high-level cybersecurity training, discovering cutting-edge security approaches, managing risk in the ever-changing threat of the cybersecurity workforce. Cybersecurity is no longer just an IT problem. To learn more about attending a virtual event, go to futureconevents.com or email info at or follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter at FutureCon HQ. Don't miss the weekly FutureCon seamless podcast series, focusing on the insights and thoughts of chief security officers and industry pioneers, making a difference throughout the world. Kim Hakem, CEO of FutureCon Events, and Darren Anderson, CEO and co-founder of Next Robotics, host seamless podcast started by a team of entrepreneurs with experience in fields like smart cities, technology, cybersecurity. The result is a series of podcasts unlike anything you've ever heard anywhere. Listen where you get your podcasts, including Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher.